welcome to Wii Universe, the show where we're playing every single random-ass Wii U video game. Uh, video game is a new technology invented by James P. Video Game in 1902, and I'm excited to be bringing his invention to the masses. My name is Steve Guntley. And I am longtime co-host uh, Aaron George, and today we have a guest, and his name is Woody Sikowski. That's right, Aaron. My name is Woody Siskowski, but it's Sorry. it's not like you've known me for more than a decade, so it's not your job to pronounce my last Some, name Something correctly. must be wrong. I think there's like a glitch in our setup here. Let me just... Okay, there we go. There we go. Uh, I think we got them sorted out. Okay. Well, um, yes, this is Woody. We're here to talk about Axiom Verge, and we brought... Um, Aaron, our regular co-host, decided to come back <laughs> and confuse new listeners. It, you know, we've recorded a lot of these things, and sometimes it's nice to figure out a gimmick. So you're not just uh, retreading the hits from your childhood, which... Uh, as, as people know, uh, I am currently wearing a hat. Um, so, you know... You <laughs> That's know. a recurring gimmick we have on this podcast. Every once Steve in a while. wears a hat. He's wearing a wacky hat just to keep I'm things back fresh. From, I'm back from those old episodes where we went through just MSX games. Um, yes. And every single MSX game. We also did all of the Virtual Boy games. Just cruise through them. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, man, that was not a headache at all. Like, there was no, I, I did not it was start bleeding. Ultra from... 64 puke edition. <laughs> They're just the red, they, they made it red because that's the color your eyes bleed after you play it for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about the Virtual Boy today, as tempted as I am. Uh, we are actually talking about a game called Axiom Verge, which is just a great combination of syllables, I think. Axiom Verge, that sounds so scientific and so sci-fi while also clearly meaning nothing yeah that's the secret uh before before we get into axiom verge should we uh delve the depths of whatever aaron is playing yes i'm really curious about this what are you playing right now aaron um so i just beat inscription which was worthwhile and worth mm. playing you know the inscription um, backstory, no what's inscription so inscription it's hard to like talk too much about because no one wants to really spoil it but um it's kind of a roguelike deck builder where all of a sudden you wake up in a creepy murder cabin sure and the guy tells you that you have to play a game with him or else you're gonna get creepy murdered and <laughs> Actually, if you lose the game, you'll also get creepy murdered. Okay. Um, and he gives you items to help you along your way. Like you can have a a um, a knife to stab your eye out if you need that that extra eye for extra damage. Good to have on um, hand. Yeah. And then anyway, the game just keeps going and it becomes something completely different. And mm. it's worth it's worth playing. Um, and then I'm also playing all the way through the story of the new expansion of uh, Final Fantasy XIV right now. So okay, all right. That. You and the rest of humanity. <laughs> somehow somehow, Final Fantasy XIV has just lain in waiting, and now it has emerged to become the game of the moment. Yeah, it's it's having its time right now, it's, yeah. It's, um, this new expansion is frustrating because it's the last expansion of their, like, story that they've been doing since, like, 1996 or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. Know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, however like, long. The game feels like it needs to bring back every character and that I give a shit about so many of these characters. So it has incredibly good moments and then it has like five hours of just we're all gonna have a dinner together and everybody's gonna talk about all those great times we had together and it's gonna take five hours of your life sure. you don't care you don't even remember about these characters so it's like the first hobbit movie exactly yeah, it's a, yeah. we need yeah. 45 to 50 minutes of uh, cgi juggling and songs yeah yeah but it's good it's great um i'm enjoying it well very cool I've I've gone back just sort of very randomly uh, to uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. I am trying to get the 100% trophy on that. I missed a few of my first playthrough. It's a nice, short, fun, uh, um, fast-paced little game, so I'm enjoying going through that one again. And uh, I'm also probably going to be playing the rest of this game we played today because it's really good. How about you, Woody? Uh, I'm sort of knee-deep in inscription, but I have not gotten to the point where the game turns weird. Oh, okay. So I'm excited about that, and I've also been playing Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks with my roommate. <laughs> awesome. Um, which is pretty fun. Cool. Yeah, I just got my copy. I'm, uh, I'm excited to dig into that one. 
All right, today we are talking about Axiom Verge. Uh, this was released March 28th, 2019, developed and published by Thomas Happ Games. Physical release is published by Limited Run Games. And this is also available on PS4, Vita, Windows, Mac, Linux, Xbox One, and Switch. So that was the date of the Wii U release, right? Because this game is older than that, right? This is, is, uh, is this that was in 2019. No, this is the, day, the release of the physical multiverse version of axiom verge this had first appeared on systems in 2015 first appeared on the wii u in 2016 but as you know we're going through reviewing all the physical copies and this is an interesting one for a lot of reasons firstly that's really late in the life cycle that's peak switch time i mean to say late in the life cycle is misleading because this, there was no life cycle there i think we we had one just dance game to be released after this okay. so it's technically still on life support you know but like after this there would be almost no other games well and i mean when I think of the Wii U, I think of cutting-edge games that come out right as soon as they're as they're created. Like, sure. The Wii U is where you went for the newest, most exciting releases. Oh, yeah, time. no, that's where all the hip kids were, were playing. They were bringing their game pads to the club, you know, and not being able to play them because they're too far away from their console, you know. Yeah, that whole thing. Uh, just people like just a big clunky accessory to carry around in the club. Uh, yeah, I a mean... A clunky so, accessory that doesn't work on its own. It's not like a Switch. No, like, no, it no. It's just useless on it i mean i guess you could like do cocaine off it or hit also, somebody in the face yeah, if they're it's a attacking good self you self-defense implement if things get out of hand it's basically much, a shield you'd much rather have a wii u gamepad on hand than a switch because you're gonna snap I, that switch in half i'd rather have a wii u gamepad than bear mace like this thing will take you down it's made of pure granite honestly i'm not sure why they didn't advertise using it as a cocaine uh line <laughs> as like one of its features because it's, it's it looks like it's pretty pretty good at that that's one of the WarioWare mini games you chop up some cocaine really fast on the gamepad yeah and, that's yeah. why it comes with a touchpad so you can slide it all together <laughs> against your dollar bill exactly exactly uh so yeah uh we, we what, what you see when you take too much cocaine on the wii u you actually get transported to the world of axiom Verge. <laughs> that's, that's what we're seeing that's yeah. it that's finally what we're seeing so aaron you wanted to play this game uh we we brought you or i guess <laughs> you wanted it was to play this game you. because i said hey aaron's gonna be here we should make him play axiom verge oh okay i i thought i didn't know if there was a deeper story to that or like i don't know we we, we basically uh we're like hey legend of k guess what you can wait i know it was your anniversary <laughs> sure. and all but you can wait and i'm sure aaron would have been fine playing legend of k but i think aaron i mean this was a game that i felt like either he probably has played and has opinions on or hasn't played and should. And Aaron, will you explain my decision to the listeners? So I have played a lot of um, Metroidvanias. I mm -hmm. do like Metroidvanias quite a bit. I just played through Metroid Dread four times in a row. Wow. Um, okay, that's a lot. it's a good game. Yeah. Um, I used to, back when I was in undergrad and through most of graduate school, actually, every semester when I finished every assignment that I had due, I would just make a Red Baron pizza and play through Super Metroid all in one sitting. So, wow. Um, that was a thing. Um, Axiom Verge, which it's a good name because it means somehow means less than Metroid. Right. Which is like an expressly made up word. These are two real words. You could look them up, but it, it wouldn't really give you much clarity into what we're talking about here. Like, not great marketing in its name, but okay. But I here's the thing: I'm going to be drawn to anything with like a cool sounding name, especially if there's a big X in it. Uh, my girlfriend also thinks this should be my drag name, is Axiom Verge. <laughs> I think that'd be a good one. If I ever that's do good. drag, that's going to be my drag name. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's like um, Mega Man X. Good game. Yeah. Mega Man XX. Even better game. Mega Man XXX. We went too far. Oh yeah, no, I saw <laughs> that. I saw that. It was uh, this is not your mother's Mega Man or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, Anyway, um, so <laughs> I, I have played through this game. I played it through. So I, I come and visit uh, Washington State every. I don't live here, um, mm -hmm. but I come back Humble every break. like six months. <laughs> and then uh, my brother, who who actually streams a lot of games like this, um, one one day when I visited maybe a year or two ago, mm -hmm. was just like sat me down in front of his computer and like you're playing this game now. And <laughs> I mashed through all the cutscenes because I just wanted to shoot things. Sure. And then I got there. And then I mostly made fun of the storyline and then got really affected by it by the end. Um, it's actually a good game. It has a good story. It has a good game uh, gameplay. So at this point, I mostly just have like vague positive feelings about it from that time that I was for like yeah. basically held hostage and forced mm -hmm. to play through Axiom Verge. I mean, there are worse ways to be held hostage. Like I could think of several ways that are worse than that. I like mean, a like a creepy guy in a cabin could uh, <laughs> want to play a card game with you, give you a knife to poke out your eye yeah, in case you yeah. need to. Yeah, 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 that's a worse way to go. 
I mean, I'd never gotten around to this game despite owning a few copies for some reason. Like I have, I have the um, uh, PS Vita version and the Wii U version. I didn't open my Wii U version until just before we played this. I mean, this game is this game is catnip for people who are of around our age. Yes. Of like, yes. hey. This game kind of looks like Metroid. Yeah, and yeah. When you play it, you're like, oh, this game looks exactly like Metroid. You just you see it, and it's like $10, and you're like, well, there's no way I'm not going to play this game. Well, obviously, like, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a guy who said that, like, if something looks kind of retro, that's immediately, like, going to draw you in. I'm somebody, if there's a Metroidvania element attached to it, I'm immediately drawn in. Okay. So, like, this is kind of in our... our wheelhouse and i want to i don't want to get too bogged down in terminology here but one thing i think is interesting for this game specifically is i don't think it annoys me to call this game a metroidvania when it's just a metroid yeah because there's, <laughs> no, there's no vania here there's like, very little vania not drawing like I, I, and i was talking to aaron about this earlier like is the term metroidvania just built on the fact that the games are somewhat like that Castlevania was popular and sort of pulled the Metroid formula, or mm-hmm. does Castlevania actually bring something to the Metroid formula that makes a quote-unquote Metroidvania unique? That's an interesting uh, thing. I, I think it's more just that these were the two prominent series kind of like overlapping a little bit that were doing this thing. Like, And they, now then everybody kind but of... Castlevania be- wasn't doing it until 1997, that's whereas the, that's Metroid the thing. had done yeah. it for 11 years. That's the thing. Yeah, it may be not be necessarily fair. I guess maybe it's just depending on what kind of gamer you are. You're either coming at it from a Symphony of the Night or a Super Metroid um yeah but i mean it's it's i like it as a concise way to explain like what you're going for i I guess i always think of it as metroid like the core metroid fundamentals i think ask a little more of you and there's a little more willingness to let you get lost in those original metroid designs yeah whereas symphony of the night even though you know you use backtracking and stuff you i never remember feeling very stuck in that game well, right. and they mix it up, too, with a little more, like, RPG mechanics and, like, a much more customizable weapon set and things like that. So there, I guess that would be the strengths that it brings, you know? And it, it brings uh, more R- RPG elements. More there. RPG elements and just, like, it's not quite so prescriptive with the weapons. You okay. Know? Yeah. Uh, so that could be that. that could be something there. There might also be more of an emphasis on the bosses in the Vania side of it. For oh, instance, yeah, yeah. Hollow Knight is definitely a Metroidvania, but yeah. it might lean more towards the Vania than the Metroid. I think so. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I I, th- I think you're you're right. I agree with you. I think what happened is that Super Metroid is the perfect game, but not a lot of people played it. Yeah. And then Symphony of the Night was the Final Fantasy VII of the time of the Metroidvania. Yeah, everybody I think that played, was like a bigger hit. Yeah. yeah. Everybody played Symphony of the Night, so I think like people like really liked it, and they combined its Symphony of the Night's name with Metroid. Yeah. And that's how we get the genre. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's probably pretty close. And I know Jeremy Parrish uh, did not create this the title he he's gone on record like it was a it was attributed to him a lot but he said no this was not mine like, i forget who dubbed the phrase but it was it was actually me um, oh oh okay I, I, I dubbed it originally just everybody should know that right now and so you're, you're taking podcast. credit you're yeah. taking credit good yeah. call <laughs> tm 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 patent pending patent pending uh so this game was created solely by a developer named tom hap who uh works for a company called petroglyph games out of las vegas uh, he, they're the company responsible for like the NBA and NFL street games. So that's kind of what he was working on as a day job. And he started working on this game as a side project. I do. I do think that it's a little funny because somebody whose passion project was this game is probably not someone who is particularly excited about NBA and NFL streets. 100%. So that's, that's if you told like, me this guy was adapting William Gibson novels into Japanese, then yeah. I would be like, yeah, this is his game. Absolutely. Yeah, but, exactly. yeah. He's like, okay, make sure that this uh, Shaquille O'Neal model is like, correct. Like, <laughs> can I just go back to making retro th- 8-bit retro throwbacks? Yeah, exactly. Like, Maybe this was just like a, a pressure release valve. So but, I'm sure he was very excited when, I mean, aside from the obvious reasons when this game was pretty successful yeah like oh look i don't have to make this game about crossover dribbling anymore exactly and just to be clear i love the nba street games. sure I think they're great but and, they're hey, he might not. be super into basketball yeah, too no, we don't true. know we don't know uh so he started working on this game in 2010 uh he did 100 of the programming artwork and music all on his own just kind of worked out of his house which is pretty impressive when you see the final product 
Uh, he submitted the fir- the a beta of the game to the Dream Build Play Indie Game Competition in 2012, and it started building buzz in the press. Uh, it was being na- it was named one of 2014's indie games to watch, and it started getting picked up for digital distribution on multiple platforms. There was a Wii U release planned, but it didn't seem to be in the cards at first because the uh, platform was incompatible with the game's engine. Uh, but after the game wa- uh, debuted in 2015 and earned a lot of uh, Game of the Year buzz and sold really strongly, then Nintendo worked with uh, Tom Hap to kind of redevelop the game for digital release, and it did come out on the Wii U digital service in 2016. Did it, was it on the 3DS at all? Uh, I, don't I don't think it was on the okay. 3DS. And no. I, I mean, I, this feels like a game that it feels important that it made it out on a Nintendo console. Right. Because it's very, like, that's the legacy that it's drawing That's like, And it's also like, oh, okay, so there's no bad blood here for, uh, uh, let's call it a, a dur- an extreme homage to yeah, uh, exactly. a game that exists on n- Nintendo products. So this is one of the very last physical releases on the Wii U, and the road to get this disc out on the market took a long time and a lot of contentious argument. I'm going to try and break down the story concisely. They covered this on GameBiz.com, which is a really uh, uh, good resource for this. But the struggle was basically between Limited Run Games and a Spanish company called Badland Games. Now, just a little bit about Limited Run for people who don't know. Uh, they kind of do what they say on the box. They release limited runs of small print, like digital only indie games. And they make like really nice looking physical versions of these games in very small quantities. Can I, I, I just want to share an opinion on limited run real quick, yeah, please. which is that they're, the, they make high quality products yeah. and that, and it's cool that there's someone out there doing that, but I have kind of a problem with their existence in the sense that I always get annoyed when products like games become designed as collector items. I agree. And are released for that purpose of like, we're not going to release a bunch of these because you just, you just, I I know the people there, like the hearts are in the right places and it's cool, but like you just inevitably draw in people who are like, I'm just going to buy this and sit on it. Yeah. 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 I have a few. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's hard not to fall into that trap, but to me, and I guess it's not a huge deal because it's like, they're still available digitally Yeah, and things like that. It just, the, the idea of making something intrinsically limited, I might that that because that is like my shopping consumerism weakness. Me too. It is like I don't really like this game that much, but they're only releasing a thousand copies of it, so I better spend sixty dollars to get the art book. Yep. Like, yep. And I, I did it for Enter the Gungeon because I'm like, this game is very important to me, and I want this like. It, it came with this booklet that I was very excited about. That right. Was like a description of all the weapons in the game and then the game released a new patch so oh. that the book was no longer complete. Oh, no. <laughs> that, really, that really frustrated me. But I that that is always a, a struggle that I have with limited run and its business model. I, I'm the same way because I and it's again it's not a knock on them for their quality because I want to buy all of these things. Like they all look so cool. They'll release them and like they'll they'll re-release like uh, uh homebrewed NES games on the NES with a physical cartridge. And that's fucking rad to me. I love when they do stuff like that. They did that with a Neo Geo cart. Like that's amazing that they would do that. Uh, but I agree at the same time. It's like, oh, I've only got so much money and I I, I don't feel like I'm going to play this. I don't feel like I want to take it out of the plastic. <clears throat> Companies that release like ROMs on actual physical cartridges is still deeply magical to me. Like, yeah. I know that it's easy to do at this point, but like I was able to years ago buy um, Secret of Mana 2 for my brother as a Christmas present on a Super Nintendo cartridge and we just played through it on the... that. The idea of getting all these games that we could never have had as kids and like literally play them back on the console that we had as kids is is anyway. That's nothing. Oh no, I'm I'm totally there I, with I you. Love, like that's that's rad. Like when I realized people could do that for the first time, I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so you know, uh, so the the contentious release of this game came between Limited Run and a Spanish company called Badland Games. Uh, Hap had sold the publishing rights to for the physical editions to them. Limited Run had approached Dadland about producing a physical release back in 2017 when the Wii U was still kind of clinging to life, but also not really. Uh, Physical versions were announced for the PS4, the Wii U, and the Vita, uh, and uh, there was a target release date of summer 2017. So Limited Run paid $78,000 to release 6,000 copies for the Wii U. It was a very limited run. Uh, But the release date came and went without anything to show for it, it got pushed back to 2018 in January, but the game started running into trouble with Nintendo's lot check, which is their process for determining like a rating for the game. Uh, they were torn between E10 and T for Teen for this game, which 
I don't really see how you make the argument for T for Teen necessarily. I mean, it's other a pretty than, eerie game. It's eerie. There's nothing like it's all. Uh, I mean, there's some splattering like monsters. I, I mean, guess. I don't know. I feel like if you what what do you know what they ended up on? Yeah, I think they landed with T. Uh, yeah. Okay, and I have no problem with that because I have a hard time believing that this game is going to be very exciting to an 11 year old. Like simultaneously, like with the design of the game, I am wrong. Like, it is E10. Okay, okay. Well, I was so wrong. maybe, yeah. the, but again, this is a game that's very much targeted to people in their mid thirties. Yeah, <laughs> because oh, 100%. you have to know, like, this game is like, oh, do you know what we're aping? Right. Because if you don't, you're just not getting sort of what this game is going. For. Yeah, totally, totally. I do want to meet the guy who played this game and then played the original Metroid as like. Because he learned about that from this game. Like, totally interesting about what he thought about the original Metroid. I mean, that must be the case for some people who missed out on Super Metroid. Like, you play this game, like, oh, this game, this gameplay style is cool. Well, guess what, kid? It was based on a game called Super Metroid. I mean, just to be clear, Steve, this game is not based on Super Metroid. This I game know. is based on Metroid. No, yeah, that's yeah, very like, true. That's it, true. It, it's that's very true. much the NES Metroid. Yeah, like, no, I so can see much that. that, like, if. You know, obviously there was a good relationship with Nintendo, so but like you could almost see like, boy, they really just pulled like high resolution assets of those blocks, yeah, from yeah. The, and bubbles from the original Metroid and put them in here. Totally. All right, so they they got the lot check thing sorted out by March of 2018, but uh, at that point, uh, Badland Games had stopped answering emails. They just kind of ghosted. Uh, so. Limited Run kept sending them emails like every week just saying, hey, what's going on? Where's this game? What's coming out? And finally, they're like, all right, well, we need our money back. Like if you're not going to answer our calls or anything. So it took them all the way to October of 2018 to get back to them. That's more than six months since they sent their first email. Uh, and Badland finally admitted that the company had gone out of business. Uh, and then the, the rights had reverted back you're to saying Tom that the, the the business model of not responding for emails for six months wasn't conducive to them uh, turning profit? Apparently, that one didn't work. They claimed that they were running into some trouble with their financing, some problem with the Spanish bank, so they created a different label called Badland Publishing. That's, that's some problem with the Spanish bank is code for we spent your money on Coke. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, they uh, their financiers, there was an error on their part, so like they turned from Badland Games to Badland Publishing, but even after that... They didn't answer their emails, and Limited Run's lawsuit went forward, and Badland refused to respond to the lawsuit, so they lost by default. So they had to pay out $78,000. The expense for the physical version had to come partly from Limited Run and partly from Tom Hap's own pocket if you wanted to get it out there. So, 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 so I'm sorry. Wait. So this company didn't respond to any emails. Yeah. And then they finally responded to an email just to say that we shut down this company and opened up a company with the same name. Yeah. That company is going to work, but this one's out of business. Right. So then that company didn't respond to emails. Yes. So then they got sued for not responding to emails. Mm -hmm. Then they didn't respond to that email about being sued for not responding to emails. Yes. And then they lost by default because they didn't show up. Because they didn't show <laughs> Okay, so, so they, the they lesson really to take here is answer your emails and show up in court. They I guess. really would have benefited from the extra like like thousand dollars a month to hire an intern to answer their emails. Right, something like that. Like, oh well, and the the shittiest part was uh, Tom Hap has a young son who has a disability, um, and part of the agreement with Badland Publishing was that 75% of the proceeds from this physical edition were going to be donated to an organization that they found to help people with this little boy's condition. Uh, and they didn't do that because they didn't have the money for it anymore. So Tom Hap had to sue them over that as well. Like, so it's still ongoing litigation. And that's why this game didn't get a final release until May of 2019, long after the Wii U's relevance had gone. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's aside from just the bad backstory, it's just an undeniable, like, weird time for this game to come out. Because it's both after the Wii U is dead and yeah. after, like, the interest in this game would have kind of faded. Totally, like, yeah. Anyone that, who would have been very excited about this was like, yeah, I played this on the PS3, like... Five years ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. forever ago. Like, yeah, the moment had passed, and... Or the, the, or the Switch, because I think this game's on thing. Switch. Yeah, this was on Switch. The physical release for Switch came out before this, uh, and the Switch, like, if they'd released it when they'd intended, in early 2017, it would have beaten the Switch to the market. Like, it, it would have still yeah. had a little bit of relevance, but no, yeah, that didn't and happen. I do feel like these older style throwback games play much 
they feel good in handheld modes. Mm-hmm. Like trying to play more modern games in handheld mode, I have a lot of trouble with because yeah. it's like there's so much detail here going on. Sure. That it's just a little too much. Um but if you're but, playing something simple, yeah, yeah, where like all of the enemies and designs really pop, it's yeah. much easier. I mean, the final edition that they released was pretty nice. It's called the Multiverse Edition, and it comes with a uh, exclusive art book, a poster, a soundtrack album, and a Blu-ray making of documentary. Uh, in addition to the copy of the game, so like, I'm happy with the the packaging and the final product that that came out. It's uh, it's uh, a shame it had to go through so much hullabaloo to get it out there. Uh, but let's talk about the story of the game a little bit. Pretty minimal. The game opens in a lab in New Mexico in 2005, and there's a nerdy scientist named Trace who is conducting an experiment when a surge of energy causes an explosion. When he wakes up, he finds himself removed from time and space and seemingly trapped inside this big uh, cyber-organic alien machine. Uh, so there's a disembodied... Cyber-organic alien machine is the new name of my grindcore band. Ooh, that's a good one. I like it. I like it. Uh, A disembodied voice tells him to find her, and after acquiring a weapon called the Axiom Blaster, he fights his way through the dungeon, and he discovers the source of the voice, which is Els Nova, a large mechanical head that's part of a race of supercomputers called the Rusalki. This is the design... That kind of looks like the the main enemy from System Shock, I feel like, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, So, I mean, you're going to kind of go throughout the level. There's a lot of uh, uh, alien and interdimensional folklore and and weird stuff about all these talking machines. You know, it... The, the the story's nice dressing for it. It doesn't hit it too hard any more than like any Metroidvania usually does. The exploration's I mean, generally the point. Which is which is how it should be. Like that's I always feel like an Achilles heel of um this style of game. And yeah. certainly it's something to be butted up against like in Fu- Metroid Fusion. Yeah. Is where they try to put the story forefront and there's lots of sort of initial dialogue that prevents you from just kind of discovering these things on your own. Yeah. And this game does do a good job of kind of hiding little memoirs throughout the the world and like logs and things like that that yeah. you can find and even some of them are in different languages and you have to weirdly put in a code into your start menu to translate them yeah i did not know what that was i was glad that aaron was here to explain what that was because i couldn't really figure out that item but uh, I mean, so for a little context, last the, the last, uh, a few months ago, Woody and I played every Metroid game. We we, we did it for our Patreon Ultra sixty four Pod at Patreon.com. and we played through every Metroid game. So we are pretty well immersed in Metroid. It's pretty fresh in all of our minds. And uh, yeah, this game is Metroid as fuck, man. Mm-hmm. It's really like a lot of, when you open the, the the opening level of the game is like some of these assets and these bitmaps look like they were taken from the original NES Metroid, like the, the, the bubble, like uh, webbing and like some of the textures of the rocks and some of the weapon designs. It's really, really similar, like kind of almost too similar. I don't know. What I, do you th- I don't have a problem with that in the sense that th- from a gameplay perspective, it's so clearly inspired by Metroid. Oh, 100%. That to have it look like Metroid also doesn't bother me. No. Especially because like the asset design is cool. Yeah. Like they're, they're good. They're good designs on the NES. They look good here and the worlds, even though like those initial like bubbles and blocks do look the same, the world itself feels different. Yeah. I think that this game, I mean, certainly it's got a lot more graphical power behind it, but it feels, you know, much creepier than the original Metroid. A lot of the enemies are kind of off-putting in their weird designs. Yeah. Almost like a Silent Hill type of thing. Very fleshy, yeah. Fleshy or like bent over in weird positions or just kind of move in unnatural ways. Um, So it does have a little more of a horror tone to it than the most Metroid games, which are more just sci-fi-y. Yeah, it's really embracing the H.R. Giger kind of influenced designs of the original and like Alien and feelings like that. And there's not a lot of games that look like the original Metroid, so I'm okay with having a few more that do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I just, I, I think the thing that this game gets right that a lot of Metroid clones don't is that feeling of like loneliness and isolation and like this existential dread that's kind of over you the entire game. Like the original Metroid and Super Metroid did that so, so well. And most of the rest haven't even really attempted it. Like this kind of very low key sort of scariness. Um, Yeah, the entire environment feels like it's trying to kill you. Um, It also, like you said, feels very, very, feels very, very alien. And as a result, you kind of feel 
unsettled yeah. um, as you wander through it. It also isn't afraid, like Super Metroid and the original Metroid were very, very okay with you getting lost and like yeah. having a sense of dread from getting lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fusion is deeply afraid that you're going to put down the game and play something else. So it yes. never lets you get lost. Yeah, yeah. Axiom Verge is back to that kind of initial like gameplay thing that I think we've been lacking in a lot of Metroidvanias for a long time of actually being okay, like taking its audience seriously enough that it thinks it can handle that that they can handle getting lost. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I, I think like while it starts from very, very much the same place, like it it finds ways to diverge from Metroid in some important ways. It has some mechanics that are very unique to this game and and some spins on the original mechanics like that you wouldn't really think of. Like I didn't even think about it that like you, you get this little drone thing, which is kind of like this big flea that you can control independently and he'll he'll just keep going as long as he's got a life bar. And you guys pointed out that's essentially like your morph ball functionality in this, because while you're not physically crawling under these spaces and like exploring the next room, you totally are like your guy is like he can collect items for you. He can collect health for you. Like it's it's basically the same thing. And it's also kind of cool because it allows them to design rooms and areas (laughs) where only your little drone can go in. Yeah. That have a sort of different enemies and different layouts. So it plays a little differently and really this game, you know, compared to the original Metroid, has about 10 to 12 more mechanics going on. Like, even though the base gameplay and sort of layout is like, go get new item, explore new area of the world, and be able to backtrack, is the same. Yeah. Like, there's so much more going on in this game that it really does feel totally different, even though, honestly, I feel like some of those levels of complexity are not to the game's favor. I, I agree with that. Sometimes it can be a little bit much. Uh, some of the interesting mechanics that get built in a little bit later are almost playing on like the retro nature of the uh, the game itself. You know, so you'll see a lot of like glitches going on in the background, like little flickering cells or things like you would see in a, a NES Contra or something like that, you know. And you get a weapon about midway through the game that allows you to scan those and, like, open up secret paths or, like, change the properties of a character. Like, you could have an animated character and you could turn it into a glitch, which will operate differently than if it was regular. It'll start drilling through the walls or you could stand on something you couldn't stand on before. And I thought that was a really interesting way to sort of uh, incorporate the retro nature of it into a gameplay standard. Likewise, they have a passcode item that when you get it, it's hard to even know quite what it does. It just says, use the menu, enter a passcode, but it opens up a new um, part of the start menu that looks almost identical to the, to the original Metroid password screen. Right. And some of those passwords you find in the game and they'll help you progress in the game. But there are other ones that are just like cheat codes, basically, that change the nature of the game entirely. Yeah. That aren't necessarily in the game. And so it even incorporates that kind of retro game feel of entering passwords or hearing on the playground that you can do this yeah. that sort of thing. You can type in Justin Bailey's and all of a sudden the scientist will be in a bathing suit. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and that's great. Like you get a, a special ability, like a coat that lets you glitch through certain walls, you know, like you turn into a little scramble of code and pass through it, you know? And, you, you know, that eventually levels up and to allow you to kind of do a teleport-style dash where you can go in any direction by, like, double-tapping up. You, like, skip a square so you can, you know, teleport through walls above you and things like that. And that was kind of where this game... Because I have played a decent amount of this game. I got it on the Vita a while ago. And it just got to the point where I made the fundamental mistake of these kind of games, which is that I stopped playing it for a little bit. Don't do it. And this game is really more guilty than most in terms of just leaving you in the lurch. Like, I know that is part of the gameplay decision, but A, you're trying to track what's going on in the map. And like, you know, you'd think that having a map would sort of simplify things compared to the original Metroid, which for the most part it does. But there's so you get such a huge toolbox of items in this game that there's so many areas you can't access till later. Right. That you end up seeing, oh, there's an area in the map that I haven't been to. And then you run all the way across the map to get there and are like, oh, yeah, I still can't get here. 
and it's just so easy to forget. And like, and this game lets you set up to two reminders in certain rooms, like so you can go back and check on it. But that does still leave a ton of different spaces. Like, yeah, the the Metroid map system is very different from like a map that's designed to get you from one place to another. This is like a series of blocks like on top of each other, and it's just kind of letting you know where you've been but it doesn't really indicate where you should be going and things that look like they need to be explored still are dead ends that you forget about well but that map that kind of square those squares on the map that's exactly what super metroid's maps is yeah 100 um, so it's it's to some degree going back to that um oh i was just gonna say something i forgot I- well, I will say, like, I think the difference is even though the map system is basically the same as Met- Super Metroid, which works, you know, is a good map system, you have so many more items in your toolbox here. Mm-hmm. Like, in Super Metroid, when you bump against a green door and you're like, oh, I don't have the kind of missiles that can open that door. Like, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. just obvious. Whereas here, you see an area where you're like, okay, I need to sort of drill up there and then shoot my jump and then shoot my drone up there sure it's not always clear if an area is inaccessible because you're not doing something right or because you actually proceed on it later yeah like you don't have the item you need to access this and what essentially just to give you an idea of like what happens when you play this game on the vita is you run out of buttons and it becomes you have to jump and then tap the screen to shoot your drone because both of your trigger buttons are already taken up or like you'll have to hold a trigger button. I can't can't even, it might even use the back touchpad, which is always bad. It's like if your Metroidvania game requires more than six buttons, like the Vita is not short on buttons. No. To just do basic mechanics, like it feels like a little too much. And I can see why they kind of run into a problem there, because it's not like the the audience for Axiom Verge is not my first like Metroidvania. It's going to be someone who has some nostalgia or some interest in the original Metroid. So like what ask anybody who likes Metroid what they want from next Metroid and they'll say, I want more items and like more interesting items. So on the one hand, Axiom Verge is trying to do that by giving yeah. you just like a billion different new items. There are a lot of with. pickups in this game. And they're all unique and they're all pretty cool. But like 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 Woody's saying, it kind of feels at some points kind of like I'm playing Final Fantasy 14 and I have to do like button contortions to reach the right ability that I need at any given time. But you could make the same argument for Super Metroid, which I would classify as, like, my favorite game of all time. Like, you have to cycle through using the select button, okay, because you have even fewer buttons to work with on that controller, and you do still have the same robust skill set. So I'm willing to kind of take it as a part of the genre, just kind of like a a feature, not a bug, you know, that, like, uh, uh, it, it is supposed to be a little complicated, and you're supposed to be kind of contorting your hands a little bit as you play, because this does have fairly effortless gameplay too at the same time like like same way that mortal uh, that uh, uh, metroid does you know it's it, it's one of those complicated to master but easy to pick up sort of games and i i did just recently play through ori in the blind forest for the first time. oh sure yeah. um and it has the exact same thing where it tries to map every single new ability you get to a new button so oh. by the end you have like every conceivable button does some ability and you need to kind of remember which does which. So yeah. this is kind of in that same genre, like overall. Uh, but yeah, it feels, I mean, just the basic action of this game feels very clear. And that's, it's really what you want from any retro throwback game is like, aside from it looking the way you want, which this game definitely does. Yeah. Um, and sound. Yeah. I mean, this game really just nails that presentation. Oh, like, the soundtrack is amazing. The sound the soundtrack is very good in feel, feeling kind of like Metroid yeah. and having that same kind of a set, but being different tunes and, different and having more sophisticated, mm-hmm. like sound quality behind it. Yeah. yeah some yeah. of them even have like, kind of like vocal chanting behind the tunes yeah. and things like that. Um, and just, and also just the way the game feels like your character moves at the right speed. He jumps a little bit higher than you think he will, which right. is very true to sure. the way Samus jumps. Um, and it's, it, it feels fast and not overly floaty. Like some of the environments here get pretty big. Like each area has a lot of different rooms in it, way more than the original Metroid. Um, and so it, you do feel like you're sometimes grind spending a lot of time running back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a very fun array of weapons again, perhaps 
too many. Like you're arguably you're, you pull up, press the right stick to bring up a weapon wheel, and at some point, like you get you, you know, it's every conceivable direction. There there is a new weapon, some of which feel like they are pretty uh scratching the same itch as others. You have like sure. you have like a try shot and then you have another weapon that kind of breaks up into a try shot. Which and then one that shoots long range lightning. And and these weapons like they don't really their their utility doesn't really come across until boss battles, which are really very cool. Like there's they're multi-tiered, they're very huge like bosses and you do need to mix up your arsenal if you want to take because them out. Because they like their weak spot is like behind them and yeah. you have to find a weapon that'll like, somehow under their belly. Yeah. yeah, things like that. And sometimes you'll have to like climb up a certain like structure and like blast off weapons from different parts of its body before you can take it down and like they're really good boss fights. I I like them a lot. Uh, there are nine different sections here, I believe, like so nine different bosses, quite a bit to explore. Uh, I think I'm about five down four or five down um so i'm I'm getting there and i just started this last night you know it's a pretty swift game i mean as as well it should be like with the amount of complexity going on here like honestly like i had to stop playing this game because i just got lost like i just didn't know how to proceed yeah so then i stopped playing for a little bit and then at this point it's like well if i want to do this again i'm gonna have to start totally fresh which is not that bad of a thing because it is a fun game to play through sure but that is definitely my warning for this game is like this game is very like a lot of games look like old school throwbacks, but have new mechanics thrown in to kind of make them more playable and more forgiving. Yeah. And this game is lighter on those um, accommodations than most new games. That's not to say it's not without it. Like there's oh, yeah, many no, it, more, there's a map, there's many more save rooms. It's generous with it. Like it yeah. will save wherever you are, depending on like if you want to exit the game. So it's not going to like abandon you like that. And when you die, like your cells reconfigure back at your the save point, but the progress that you made is still made. Like you still have the weapons you got, you still have the map sections that you wandered. So I would I would say for me, ideally, a um, Metroidvania sort of game on your first playthrough should take you maybe like between eight and twelve hours or something, yeah. so you can explore. But then has the potential on further playthroughs to be played through in one sitting or between two and three hours. And Axiom Verge definitely seems to have that kind of kind of pacing to it. Like it has enough to explore to keep you interested in like a first playthrough. But at the same time, if you know where you're going, you can finish it all in one run. And and this game even has like a speed run feature like built mm-hmm. in, like on the main menu. Because so much of the fun of Metroidvanias is to the first playthrough to explore it, to experience everything. And from then on, to be able to try and do it faster and faster and know the route faster and faster. I think the only one that doesn't really um that doesn't really lend itself to that is Hollow Knight, but Hollow Knight is different in many ways. Right, yeah. So my quite my follow-up question to you then Aaron, I know you played this game in a sort of hostage situation <laughs> from your brother, but have you ever felt the urge like why didn't you feel the urge to go back and like speed run this one? What didn't sort of capture your imagination the way like Super Metroid did, even though obviously nostalgia is a powerful beast? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a that's a really good question. And I and I, I'm not sure I can answer it. Um, I have played Hollow Knight through multiple times. Nice. I don't think I'd ever go back and play through Ori and the Blind Forest again. Um, but a lot of people really like that one. So I think it comes down to, I, I think it probably comes back down to the atmosphere I played it in. I played it in a hostage situation. Sure. Experience it all the way through. And I ended up coming out vaguely positive, like positive with it. Um, but it was kind of like, well, I did that and I escaped the room and now I can move on with my life. Yeah. And so I don't know. I don't have a better a- answer than that, I think. I think something that this game does sort of suffer from, even though I think this game kind of is you know 30% its own identity which i uh, your main memory of this game is like oh yeah that's the game that's basically metroid yeah that's yeah. the game that is clearly built on a, as a throwback homage to metroid and it, and in a sense it kind of like drops out of your brain a little bit because that sure. area of your brain is already taken up by the many good metroid games that you have played right and when you go back you're like i really want to play a metroid style game you play a metroid game <laughs> like, that's that's a very fair point yeah maybe this is an answer have either of you played uh tears of astalon it's another indie nope. metroid it's really good um i heavily recommend it you have three different characters that you can switch from 
and that one has a sword, one has a staff, one has a bow, and they all have different Metroidvania powers that you can use to explore through. It's very good, and it does a sense of, like, you'll find one random door that you overlooked, and you'll go in, and you'll find a completely optional, like, castle that has completely new enemies and a new look. It mm. has a great sense of exploration. And I played through that when I liked it, but I don't ever see myself replaying through it. And I think the reason why is its strength and Axiom Verge's strength is a sense of exploration and what they're going to do with the retro throwback mm. theme. Like you want to see like how they play with that retro throwback theme. You want to see like how that hand scanner is used to get rid of glitches. Yeah. But once you finished it, you kind of maybe just want to go back to the, like the original ones that's kind of tried on. and true. Yeah. Like yeah. I think for me, what's interesting about Axiom Verge and tears of Aslan for that matter is to see is that, explore it for the first time and find something new less so than kind of like replay it. And maybe that's to its detriment. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, this game was hugely acclaimed when it came out. It was one of those games that like everyone was telling you to play. It was one of the big indies of its year and it has spawned a sequel, which came out just this last August Axiom Verge two came out in August, 2021. And uh, I didn't hear anything about that one. Like, kind of counter to the first game. Aaron, you were saying this is a Windows exclusive, but it's not on Steam Or something. It started out not on Steam. Um, And as a result, I think it missed a lot of people's radar. certainly missed mine. Um, Do you know anything about it? Do you know? I I really don't. Uh, I didn't really look into it too much because I thought it was something that was still on the horizon. Like, I thought it was one of those long gestating games that were like, oh, maybe we'll see it in 2022. But no, it's out. It's out there. I Um, I, I can just imagine that the slogan is something like more axioms, less verges. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> I'll see. That's not going to work for me. I wanted more verges. And the the other thing too is just I think the imagination and the tale for indie games like indie games kind of have moments. Yeah. Where you're yeah. like, this is this is great. This is the indie game of the moment. And I feel like there's been a lot of other indie games that have come out this year or last year that have kind of stolen that thunder. Like, yeah. Um, Inscription is definitely one. Um, yeah. This last year was a big loop hero is another one that I kept hearing yeah, a lot loop about hero. Yeah. of just like these other games that sort of death door yeah. that kind of stole the thunder from like Axiom Verge two. Yeah. And, and that was, and that's true. Like that is a part of the Axiom Verge novelty is like when it first came out, it's like, wow, someone is doing like original Metroid and now, and then, it happened and then yeah. that game came out and you did it and now action verge 2 is like yeah we already we already saw what you did i don't necessarily need more of the same even it's though kind it's of, probably a fun game yeah it's kind of like the there's a meat boy sequel that's out there now that like as much as everybody was freaking out about meat boy like i never played meat boy 2 you know i never really got around to it can and I, like yeah. can i just say that i have i have not a lot of interest in playing a game in which you are a living piece of meat that drops blood everywhere oh like, that's every game that's every single game oh I've, <laughs> Well, fair, <laughs> but I, but I guess Meat Boy makes it a little more literal. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. You know, he's he's a he's a raw boy. He's a he's a raw uh, a jiggling pile of meat. Which, on that note, uh, let's move on to our rankings for Axiom Verge. Uh, we are ranking the games that we have played each week uh, and putting them on our ongoing list. I will start us off here by putting this. At number 12, that's right below Minecraft Story Mode, right above Tekken Tag Tournament 2. Uh, this kind of game is cat is like cat food for me. I just, uh, I freak out. And, or I guess I should cat nip. Well, uh, you no, know. it's like cat food. The you, people you, don't know how crazy I go for cat yeah, food. Like, you, need, you need to, it's like cat food in the sense that you must continually consume it lest you die of yeah, starvation. Yeah, also I should probably improve my diet because <laughs> I'm only eating cat food. Uh, but no, I, I was really excited to get into this game. I'm going to keep playing it because it, it goes down real smooth. It's a fun, fast, uh, entertaining game in a genre that I like. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it you could argue enough like tuna for you. Exactly. Exactly. I have enough artificial flavors in there that I'm picking up. Uh, yeah, I think that's where I'm at with Axiom Verge. Yeah. I think that I, I was definitely much, I'm definitely more into this game in, theory than in practice sure in the sense that like i love the way this game looks i love everything it's d- doing except at some point i just kind of hit a wall with the level of complexity and kind of how because this is a game that even if you do get stuck like i'm okay with games making you stuck but like y- y- this game does not give you a hint no like that's not even an option to find no 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 um and so i just kind of that had kind of left a sour taste in my mouth from when i played it on the vita um but with that said 
I still like it. Um, I'm putting it right. Uh, I'll put it at number 23, 25, which is right under the amazing Spider-Man games that we played. Okay. All right. Um, just those are, you know, a little bigger, a little flashier, obviously. And I, I like what this game does. I just, uh, it, I guess I, my brain didn't work well enough for it. That's no, fine. And the shine's kind of come off in recent years, you know, and especially in a year where we just played a shitload of Metroid games, you know, it, it feels uh, a little less special than maybe it did in 2015 when we were in a Metroid drought. That was my favorite Metroid game, by the way, Metroid drought. Metroid drought. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really yeah. good. Better than Dread. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, obviously, I think it's not as good as Mar- Super Mario Maker, which is the only other game on my list. But yeah, if yeah. I, if I were to rank against other uh, Metroidvanias, I guess I'd say like you you have your perfect Metroidvanias like Super Metroid. Mm. Maybe Hollow Knight is one of those perfect ones. You have these ones that are like early and kind of flawed, like the original Metroid or games that are just kind of not for me, like Ori that are maybe fives or sixes. Yeah. And sort of 10 of 10, like Metro Super Metroid. I think this probably goes at like seven out of ten, right, right, right next to like Symphony of the Night for me. I think. Okay, all um, right. Maybe a little bit better than Sim, or a little bit worse. I don't know. It's kind of yeah. like a coin flip. It's I mean, right, right there. I, right there. I love me some Symphony of the Night. It, I don't. I'm. I go back and forth on whether it's my favorite Castlevania game because I think you can make some arguments that some of those DS games are better, so and, and definitely some of the GBA games are up there too. So, so it's Simon's Quest, Symphony of the Night, and then Aria of Sorrow for you. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the the second Liam Neeson one uh, that Hideo Kojima did, uh, and then it's uh, Kid Dracula. Uh, and then it is uh, Dracula LED Tiger handheld. And then it's the unfinished first one for the for the N64. Exactly. They made a sequel that was basically the same game. And then Simon's Quest. Anytime I want to play it, I put a jewel in my pocket, I go face a wall, I play a flute, and then I'm playing Simon's Quest. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, well, that concludes our episode for this week. Tune in next week. We are going to be back talking about the Legend of K anniversary. It's actually happening, people. We are doing it. We are <laughs> sorry, sorry for all you K heads. Who yeah, I know. Calendar for that anniversary. That must have been yeah. rough. I'm really sorry. Uh, we missed the anniversary, but we'll be back. We'll be early for it. Let's say. <laughs> um, and thank you so much, Aaron, for being here. We always love having you on the well, show. Thank you guys, it's always a pleasure. And I do want to say that um, I really appreciate all the stuff that you do on. Um, or Wii Universe DD, or is it Ultra Sixty Four DD? It is Ultra Sixty Four yeah, DD. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really did like your your Metroid series. For oh, thank instance. you. It, it made me go back and replay through the first one because Woody told me told <laughs> us all how it wasn't actually as terrible as we all remember, <laughs> and I actually enjoyed it. Good, I, I had good. To I had to get a map and I had to like basically like follow the map very closely. But no, I actually enjoyed it a lot more on second playthroughs. So. so Nintendo, you owe Woody money for that. So yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again. Do you have anything you need to plug or anything you want to shout out? Um, no, I'm, I think I'm good. I'm just happy right? to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. We're happy to have you. All right. Well, he just wants to shout out the concept of happiness. Yes, yes. <laughs> Here's to you, happiness. Yeah. Integrate it into your life, people. It can be hard to find. It can, absolutely. All right, folks. Well, we will see you next week with Legend of K. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.